Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Holistic Health Hour with me, Holistic Life Strategies Coach, Aleka Thorlson. This unique and inspiring show allows us to look at our lives in a whole new way, tuning into our health, our wellness, and happiness from a mind, body, spirit, and soul perspective. And it is my intention to create a new kind of dialogue about our health, about our bodies, about our relationships, and about our lives, empowering transformation from the inside out. So welcome to part four in the Food, Feelings, and Finding Freedom series. We have certainly covered a lot of ground in the first three parts. And if you missed part one, two, and three, you can head over to my website, which is alekasky.com, A-L-E-K-A-S-K-Y.com, and just go under the Media and Resources button, and all my past shows are archived there. There's quite, there's quite a few now. I was just looking at that the other day when I was adding um, the new part three of the Food and Feelings series. And all you need to do is just click on the, the little, it says listen, right next to the podcast, and it'll take you right to Mind, Body, Spirit, You, Blog Talk Radio, and you can hear the show. You can also find all of Mind, Body, Spirit, You's um, archived shows at Blog Talk Radio under the Mind, Body, Spirit, You tab. And um, my shows are archived there, as well as all of us at Mind, Body, Spirit, You. So there's a whole bunch of different shows that are just fascinating to listen to. If you would like to get in touch with me, you are welcome to do that via my website, alekasky.com, or at Mind, Body, Spirit, You. That's the letter U. Um, on my website, you can peruse the different services I offer. You can also sign up for my newsletter where I can keep you posted on all the up-and-coming events and classes that I have going. And you can also find me on Facebook under Aloha Healing Arts, which is the name of my business, and on Instagram under my name. So lots of lots of ways to get in touch with me. As always, I know I say this every show, but I just want to say thank you for the feedback. I, I love it when you get in touch with me to share ideas and to share how these podcasts are really affecting your life at the moment. As always, if you would like to do that, you're welcome to. I encourage you to questions, show ideas, comments. I'd like to hear it all. And I appreciate your comments on this series in particular. I know this is a touchy subject from, for many of you, and I've, I've heard that from what you've all shared. In the last show, we talked about some very real and significant links between how our minds affect our bodies, especially in relation to how we digest and metabolize food, which is really important when we're talking about weight. So this, this link is a huge factor 
in sort of that, that part of the equation that seems to not make sense when we find balance with our, our bodies and our weight. So I, I think that this mind-body connection really is the missing link in the quest to find balance with our weight and with food. So last week we focused on our bodies and some of the basics around food, nutrition, and this mind-body science. And this week I'm going to go a little bit deeper into a very similar topic, but just look at it from a different perspective. And that's something that I strive to do. You know, looking at things from a very linear or psychological perspective, maybe a very physical perspective, biological or physiological perspective. And then this, this maybe a more esoteric or energetic perspective, something that we know that's showing up but we can't maybe see except by the effect. So looking at the, an issue from all angles, I think, is really vital to really understanding how it shows up in our lives and then how to move through it in a really empowering way. So this week, we're going to look at just how what we believe, what we think about, has a direct effect on our experience of the world, and most specifically, how what we believe affects our lives and our bodies, since that's what this series is really highlighting. So that's where we're going today. And I think there's a lot of information here, so I'm going to try to get it all in. Again, it's, this show is not a live show. Some of you have asked me about that. Um, and yes, I do want to do live shows sooner rather than later. But I'm going to get through this series first. And again, if you have questions, just send them to me and I can answer them on the air. So I'm not live tonight, so if you're listening um, I'm, I, at this moment when the show is live, I'm not live. But you're welcome to contact me via the um, blog talk radio chat that I have going. I will be in the chat room answering questions during the show. I just won't be taking callers. So to start the show, have you heard the phrase, you probably have if, if you're listening to this show and interested in this genre of work. Have you heard the phrase, what we believe, we perceive? You probably have. If you're at all familiar with the current self-help genre that um, is, is ongoing, you've probably heard this phrase. But what does it mean, and is it even accurate? And how does this apply to our, our physical world and our bodies? And understanding it, will that help us to heal our relationship with food or our weight or our bodies? We're going to go deeper into those questions and how just that phrase, what we believe we perceive, affects our relationship with our bodies. So we're going to look at those questions because this is what tonight's show is all about. So what we believe we perceive. You might have heard this phrase in relation to another sort of buzzword that is in um, the New Age thought, which is called manifesting. I know you've heard that one. It's, it's, it's a big one, right? I manifested that. You manifested that. Why did you manifest that? I just need to manifest this. Manifesting is a popular, albeit confusing topic that often gets taken out of context much of the time. I, I don't know if in the way it's used most often, if it is actually accurate to the meaning that it actually has. 
it often shows up in self-improvement circles and books. And the movie The Secret, it was all about this concept of manifesting. And while I think it is valid, I also think that the ego loves nothing more than to appear spiritual. And thus, it can easily hijack this phenomenon of manifesting. And it can really distract us spiritually by bypassing vital information that we really need to pay attention to. So current quantum theory is certainly validating that we do, in fact, have quite a bit of accountability for what shows up in our lives. In other words, we do have a tendency to manifest things. We have co-creative power in our lives. And if you've heard me speak before, you know that I really come from the premise that life is a dance of fate, which are things that we may not have control over. So this defines the parameters of our lives, perhaps our gender or where we were born or our parents fate and some things that happen to us. This is things we may not be able to change. And then we have destiny, which is our free will and our choice and how those things affect our world. So as a metaphor, fate would be the cards we are dealt and destiny is how we play the cards. And it's within destiny that the concept of manifesting becomes evident. This is where we do have more accountability for what shows up in our lives, maybe more than we have ever contemplated before. So understanding fate and destiny is really critical to looking at our lives in a whole way. So if we really have this power of creation, which we do, and perhaps it's more than we even think we, we, we might have. Perhaps these powers of creation is even more than we have contemplated previously. In other words, what we believe we perceive. How then can we utilize or harness this power to animate the most empowering and purposeful and authentic reality possible? So this is where the concept of manifesting really comes into play. But I think it's important to understand what this is. So from a quantum science perspective now, how does this work? One of the ways that this concept of manifesting shows up, and I'm really going to talk more about filtering rather than, rather than resonance, although I do mention resonance in a past show. I believe I talked about it in, in the affirmation show. I'm going to start here. Our perception of reality is, is based primarily on how we filter information. This is important. I don't know if, if this is information you might have known, but our brain gets bombarded by at least two billion bits of data every second. That's a huge amount. And it's too much for our brain. Think of our brain like as a computer processor. It's, it's too much for it to process all at once. So we have to filter this data, and we filter it based on the most relevant information for us at the time. That's how we, we create these filters that show us our experience of reality. 
So this means that my perception of the room that I am sitting in right now would be very different if you were sitting in the same room with me because your filters are very different than mine. Certain things would stand out to you in this room that I may overlook or not notice. This phenomenon is called filtering. And the truth is, nothing is more real or less real in the room, but what is made more evident, what is made more real, is based on my specific filtering system, what it notices. So to me, this is perceived as very real. And I'm sort of skimming the surface here. There is much more about how exactly those objects in the room are animated based on quantum theory and the field theory, but maybe we'll save that for another day. I'm not going to get into that today, but it's fantastic and it's, it's awesome. And if you have a chance to learn about um, how our how quantum theory defines how our reality is created, it's, it's fascinating stuff, so I encourage you. But going back, how about this? Uh, let me try another example here. Um, picture a horse in your mind. So just picture it. You know, I, I, I'm telling you, picture a horse in your mind. See it in your mind's eye. So what kind of horse did you picture? What did it look like? Was it big, small? Did you picture, a, you know, a black horse, a white horse, a mare, a stallion? Maybe a picture of the horse that you had as a child or your favorite um, stuffed animal? You know, I was picturing in my mind the lone ranger stallion, the big, beautiful white one. But you weren't, or were you? What you see is based on your filters, which are different than mine. So your perception of that exercise is going to be different than mine is. So this fact that we all have personal filters through which we see the world, and therefore we have our own version of reality, I think it's no wonder that we often have such a difficult time communicating with others. because. Very often, we may not be seeing, quote-unquote, what the other person is seeing. And additionally, whether we label a situation as good or bad or scary or safe also depends on our filters. This is the reasons why one person's fear is another person's passion. We all have different filters and the way we process the world and what we define as good, bad, scary, safe. Now, as with everything, how our filters get into place is important. And many times they are created way back in childhood when our brains are pretty malleable. And I explained this process in more detail in the Inner Critic Show. So for more on how this, the how-to, how does this happen, you can listen to the archive on that show. The point is, the early messages and experiences we have growing up vastly determine how we perceive the world later. That's important. So our psyche, as you know, I've said this before, operates on the basis of safety first, right? Its job is to keep the organism alive, keep us safe. So danger memories and fear data is stored very deeply in a part of our brain that's, that's very primitive and old, and it's deeply in our subconscious mind. 
Remember, that part of our minds can hold a lot more information than our conscious mind. If you think of the mind as an iceberg, the conscious mind is the tip of the iceberg that you see above water. And the subconscious mind is what's below the water. So this data is stored there, and these memories create beliefs that form our filters and thus our framework for what we experienced. Okay, how does this work? Say, this is my famous metaphor, I've used it before, but I'm going to use it again because it applies. Say when you were younger, you got attacked by a dog. And obviously it was a pretty scary or unsettling experience with a lot of emotional charge. So what happens is that the experience likely forms a belief in our psyche, a fear belief, right? Keep the organism alive, keep it safe. That says, gives you data that says dogs are dangerous. And by the way, this is exactly what it's supposed to do, safety first. So this happened when you were younger. And now in present time, we decide we're gonna go for a walk at the park. Me, right, and this person with the belief that dogs are dangerous and this past experience. So say we're walking in the park, and then someone asks us later, how was the park? Well, it's very likely that we would have a very different perception of the exact same park. I, the person without the dog attack memory, might not even notice the dogs that are there, and maybe observe the trees and the children, while the person with the, the dogs or dangerous filter, they might see lots of dogs. So if we ask them later, they might say, that, that park was full of a whole bunch of dogs. And then I, the person that doesn't have the dog issue, would say, really? I didn't notice the dogs. Or I saw a couple of them. They looked very friendly. The other thing that can show up, if we take this one step further, is the person that had the memory around the dog or the belief that dogs are dangerous, that filter that was created, and that's what they see, might actually begin feeling sensations. Sensations like panic or anxiety or fear. Because this part of their brain is, is sending a warning signal, <gasps> danger ahead. So this, this, they might have some thoughts that cause this fear response. So maybe their heart starts racing or they feel more alert. Maybe their sympathetic nervous system is activated and they're ready to fight or flight or freeze even though there's no significant or immediate danger in present time. The belief is present, and reality is filtered in such a way that the threat can feel extremely real to present time. So this is the basis of a lot of what we um, have been termed post-traumatic stress disorder or trauma response, and it directly illustrates how our experiences create our beliefs, which then create our filters that be become so finely tuned that they might begin to perceive data or danger where there is no longer any danger. So what's the point? Your experiences create your beliefs about the world, which create your filter and then framework or lens through which you experience the world. Another way to understand filters, which is, I think, a great analogy, is to think of your filters like web browsing software on your computer. 
So there you are, on your computer, visiting all your favorite daily websites, you know, Gmail, message boards, newsletters, business pages, Facebook, you know, whatever you're doing on your computer. And your browser, maybe it's Google Chrome, Explorer, whatever you're using, is really the filter or the framework for the websites that you visit. Your, in other words, your browser provides the structure for their display. And what's interesting is websites can look very different depending on the browser that you choose. So this is the same way our filters work. The same is true for the way we perceive our lives. Different filters equate different experiences. Another aspect of this law is, is, is the law of resonance. And I'll just hint on it real quickly. I go deeper into it in other shows. But this law says that energy animates like energy. And this is otherwise known as one of the facets of, to understanding the law of attraction and manifesting. This shows how our beliefs tend to animate similar energy of the belief. So if we believe that dogs are dangerous, there's a certain resonance that's formed. There's an energy off, off print. And then that attracts similar energy. So we tend to experience more situations like that. The important thing to note here is that we do not attract or create in our lives what we want, but we create what we really believe about our world. So if we feel like we would love to release weight, and that's not happening, or we would like to find balance with our bodies, and that's not what's showing up, then we have to go to the level of belief. So bringing this full circle to go deeper into that, it's critical to note that our beliefs do not just dictate what we see and experience in our surrounding world, but so our external world, but they also create the very framework for our inner reality, what shows up in our bodies. And this is an important point. So we talked about how our beliefs and our filters can create what we see and experience outside in our world. But how about how those filters and beliefs create our experience in our inner worlds, in our physical bodies, what we maybe can't see? Our beliefs can actually affect the very framework and operation of ourselves. Now, there was an amazing project called the Human Genome Project, which was launched in 1990, and it was completed in 2003. And the mission of this project was to really map out all human genes and their interactions, which would help serve as the basis for understanding disease and virtually curing any disease. So that was the intent. However, not only did they realize that the human body consists of far fewer genes than previously believed, they also discovered that these genes do not operate as they had previously predicted, which is very cool stuff. 
scientists discovered that about 90% of our DNA has no real quote-unquote function. In other words, meaning the scientists that discovered 90% of our DNA has no real function, they don't have an understanding of why it's there. So the emerging science based on this premise called epigenetics, which is beyond genetics, it's taking it a step further, kind of like how quantum physics takes physics into what's beyond what we can see, into very, very small matter. Epigenetics takes genetics into a whole other place. So this new science denotes that heredity accounts for about 25% of our health issues. So what about the other 75%? There has been some speculation in theory that this apparently useless, quote-unquote, 90% of our genetic makeup, that we don't know what it does, it might hold information about this other 75%. Many scientists now are confirming this in different ways and theorizing that this area, this, this lost 90%, really is the area that houses our beliefs, our deep core beliefs, and even our filters. And maybe even this soul or Akashic memories. I've, I've read some, some interesting study on that. Which have direct influence on our physical bodies. I read this the other day and it was fascinating. Current linguistic research has confirmed that our DNA is not only responsible for the construction of our body and ourselves, but also serves as data storage in communication. Fascinating. So this emerging science is concluding that what we believe and even what we tell ourselves, communicate to ourselves, has a direct effect on ourselves and our physical health. Now, how this works is a science all into itself. It's very fascinating. Um, the new science is denoting that each cell membrane has specific receptors that pick up various environmental signals. So there's these little things on the outside of cells that sort of, like a lock and key, picks up environmental signals this way. And these receptors control the reading, quote unquote, of the genes inside your cells. So these receptors on the outside of our cells have a huge influence on what happens inside the cell, kind of like filters of what gets in and out and what happens within the cell, something that we just spoke about. So which receptors show up on the outside of the cell has been proven to be determined by more than just heredity and, in fact, is based in what we believe. So it's so fascinating to me when we can really see these correlations between the macrocosm and the microcosm. What this all means, of course, is that you are not solely controlled by genetics alone. That we do know. And now science is really discovering what is the other part. If we're not totally controlled by genetics, what else has it influenced? Instead, your genetic readout, which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off, is greatly influenced by your thoughts, your attitudes, beliefs, and perceptions. So 
this is huge because what it tells us is what we believe about ourselves is important, really important. The logical conclusion is that what we believe about ourselves is important, really important. So it means that what we believe has an influence on what shows up in our lives. So if we're experiencing illness or discord in our physical body or in our lives externally, that we have more of the capacity to shift or change that than we actually thought possible. It's a very empowering perspective. It reminds us that the element of choice is evident. Because we can contemplate our way into healing as easily as we might be able to contemplate our way into illness or discord. It means that we have a lot more creative power in our lives and health than we may have ever imagined. It means that we can become conscious co-creators in our reality by sifting through what we are willing to believe and perhaps clearing out some filters from the past. As one of the greatest teachers on this subject, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's, who's amazing and I, I, I highly recommend his work, is fond of saying that this new biology, new understanding, new way of seeing how our beliefs affect our, our bodies and our lives, it moves us out of victimhood and into mastery. Mastery over our own health and our own lives. It gives us more power than we ever thought we had. So how does this relate to our body and our relationship to food? Well, what are your beliefs around food and your body? What were your early messages and experiences relating to your food and body? What messages did you hear? What were you told? What did you experience? Were you allowed to eat what you wanted, allowing you and teaching you to trust your body? Were you allowed choices and encouraged the freedom to explore food and, and your inner hunger, creating strong beliefs about trusting your internal wisdom? Or were you shamed for being overweight or eating too much? Maybe you were indoctrinated with the beliefs somehow that the size of your body determines the size of your worth. I got that one, for sure. Maybe you overheard your parents speaking negatively or judgmentally about overweight people. I heard that one. Maybe you heard your mom constantly lamenting about the size of her hips and watched her roller coaster her way through diet insanity. And maybe you even joined in on the diet insanity yourself. How many of you went on diets with your mothers? It's, it's, an amazing, it's, it's an amazing prevalent statistic that how many young people go on diets with their mothers. And maybe some of you were put on diets and not by choice. That's something that I experienced being very attuned to what did you eat, how much did you eat, how much did you exercise and being rewarded for releasing weight and shamed for not. And of course the craziest thing was, looking back at pictures, I was in no way overweight, but that was the messages I got. Being thin was better 
It meant you were, you were more beautiful, you were in control. What messages did you get? What were you taught? I heard that hunger was a good thing and that food and, and, and my body, I was actually in battle against it. It was something to be controlled. It was something to be, go to war with. It wasn't there to serve me. It felt like I was in constant struggle with trying to make it different than it was. What did you experience? Maybe you were just, you just paid attention to the current media messages that are around everywhere. That to be worthy or beautiful, you have to look a certain way. Maybe you were fine and then you got to school and witnessed the madness of the mindset of little girls and little boys so concerned about their weight. Did you know that over 80% of 10-year-olds are afraid of being fat? And by middle school, 40 to 70% of, of young ladies are dissatisfied with two or more parts of their body. And body really dissatisfaction hits rock bottom between the ages of 12 and 18. This is a huge place where we have the capacity to form very disempowering beliefs about who we are. Did you know that 25% of young American women would rather win America's next top model than the Nobel Peace Prize? And 23% would rather lose their ability to read than their figures? Now the problem is not that 25% of young women who would rather be hot than smart. Rather, it reveals this cultural meme that tells us how we look is a valid determination of our very worth. So maybe you got some of these messages too. And it created a belief system that created the experience you're having right now with food or your body. How about another layer, another, another way of looking at this? Maybe you experienced trauma in your life. And in response, there was a belief that was created that if you could just be perfect enough, you could wash away the shame and the pain you carry because of it. So your life became a quest of perfection, external perfection, body perfection. Or maybe you experience sexual trauma or abuse and you have the belief that being thin is actually a dangerous liability. So there's a belief that's deeply embedded in your subconscious that you protect yourself with weight, hoping to armor yourself from ever being hurt in that way again. Our beliefs create our filters which would create our experience of our reality. And the honest thing, the honest truth here, is that we have dirty filters. We are not seeing ourselves as who we really are. We are not, we are not seeing ourselves as who we really are, but who we have been conditioned or taught to be. So with dirty filters, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we see flaws 
and we see imperfection, and we see pain, and we see shame staring back at us. Just like with the example of looking at the dogs at the park. Our psyche shows us what we most fear. What is often deeply in our subconscious. Not what we want to see. We look at ourselves and we want to see beauty, but if we have a filter of shame, we don't see beauty. We don't see our kindness, our radiance, our humor, our intelligence our beautiful skin, our brilliant smile. What do we see? We see our fat, we see our imperfection. We see our lines, we see our wrinkles, we see our ugliness, and we have judgment. And then we have the feelings all over again. We feel fear, we feel panic, we feel shame, we feel rage, we feel frustration, pity, exhaustion. We have to fix it now. Right? We have to fix it. If we could just fix all this stuff, all these imperfections, then maybe we would not feel those feelings. So maybe we try another diet or radical exercise program, hoping that if we could just change the shape of our bodies, we could change the way that we feel, and that if we looked perfect, we would finally perceive ourselves as perfect. That if we were just thin enough, we could finally accept our beauty. And then we would finally feel loved, enough, accepted. Finally, we would feel the peace we have longed for for so long. But like looking at ourselves through dirty glasses, no matter how much we try to fix our appearance, we will always look flawed. If we want to change the way we see ourselves, we have to clean the glasses. We have to clean the filters. Additionally, with dirty filters echoing these outdated and untrue beliefs, our bodies hear messages of protection, judgment, condemnation, blame, and pain, and our cells pay attention. So I said earlier, the way we see ourselves is affected by our filters, but our cells pay attention internally as well. It affects what we can see and it affects what we can't see. Now in the last show, I talked about who we are when we eat matters just as much as what we eat. And what we believe about ourselves matters a great deal as well. How about the people that believe they can eat whatever they want and they won't gain weight? Do you know some of them? I do. Actually, I think about that now. I think I'm in that more in that category now. Do you feel that way? What we believe matters. Ask yourself what you believe about food because your cells are paying attention. Now, Wayne Dyer said a great quote, and I'm not even sure he was the first person that said it, but I will, I will repeat it here. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. That is so true when we're talking about filters. What we believe, we perceive. Beliefs about our bodies create our reality. I am worthy only if I am flawless. I am lazy if my weight is not where it should be. Food and my body is my enemy. 
a battlefield of desire and a struggle to control. Losing weight is hard. I will always be fat. The less space I take up, the better. If I'm thin, I am smarter, more beautiful, more courageous. And until I am thin, I am none of those things. Perfection is a destination, and it is imperative I get there. Those are some of the beliefs I hear, some that I myself have experienced. What are your beliefs about yourself, about food, and about your body? If you want something and it's not showing up, it means you have to look deeper to the level of belief. Remember, we manifest in our lives not what we want, but what we believe. We may want a more balanced body, but if there is a deep belief buried deeply in our psyche that that is impossible or even dangerous for some reason, that we do not deserve it, then it's not going to show up. Just as the roots of a tree affect the health and vitality of a tree, our roots of belief affect our whole world, inner and outer. So to really create lasting change, the kind that actually sticks around, so to really transform the way we think and what we see, we have to get to the root. We have to get to the belief that is creating our reality. We have to excavate down, down deep, dig around to find the belief behind the effect we are experiencing so we can change the filter that creates our reality. We have to go beyond the surface ideas of what we want and what we don't want to the places that we really believe ourselves to be. Remember, our bodies, our lives, our world, this is neutral. They're neutral things. It is our beliefs that give them meaning. So if we do not like what is showing up, if we are not at peace with the size of our body or at peace with our relationship with food, then we are required to examine the beliefs at the core of our experience. We have to change the way we see the world in front of us by changing what we believe about it. Now this this may be easier said than done, perhaps. But nonetheless, this task is really vital to our process of transforming ourselves from the inside out. And to be honest, this is so much of the work that I do with, with coaching clients. Because from a holistic perspective, we have been gifted this issue with food as a very obvious way in. So I see our food issue not as a huge problem to solve or even a broken part of us that needs fixing, but as a doorway to self-discovery. It is a way to shed light into the darkness within. It is a way to find old, outdated, and incorrect beliefs that are creating our experience in present time. These beliefs are keeping the scale stuck on a number that does not feel good, stuck in a flawed relationship with food and keeping us from our own divine, authentic expression of ourselves. 
And these beliefs are at best annoying and at worst dangerous because they keep us experiencing the past over and over again and keep us in cycles of habit that we so want to change but we feel that we can't get out of. What we want is change. And that means we are not going to merely focus on changing our eating behavior, but on changing what we believe. We're going to get to the core. And I want to say that to do this work often requires help. It's really hard to, to hold space for ourselves in such a way that we can get to this place. It's kind of like a fish looking for water. It's everywhere, but it's hard to see because it's so, it so permeates our existence. So find some help maybe with this. I'm going to offer some suggestions and some questions that can help you get deeper into finding the beliefs because that's the first step. We have to find the beliefs, and our food issue is going to be a great way to do that because we know that there's a lot of beliefs there. And even though the evidence is showing up, the effects are showing up in our relationships with our bodies, those are not the, all the effects that are showing up. They're just the most evident. My, my premise and my experience has shown me that when you start to locate the beliefs around your body or anything in your life that's showing up that is causing friction for you, that you're going to see how it permeates many other places in your life, which is really great news because when you start working from, you know, on one belief, so to speak, so maybe you start looking at your beliefs around your weight, all of a sudden all these other areas of your life start to improve too. It's the way it works. So I'm going to encourage you to find some help to be able to support you to do this. And the other thing I want to add is changing beliefs are entirely possible. You actually can, you can change these beliefs that we're, we're locating. And I know because I've done it, and I know because I've, I've coached many, many, many people to do the same thing. But it does take, take some digging, and it takes some feeling, and it takes some practice, and it takes some repetition. So to get you started, I just want to ask you some questions so you can start locating some of the beliefs that you might have around this issue. So some questions. What do you want in regard to your body and weight? And what is actually showing up in your life? So looking deeper at this misalignment between what it is you want and what it is that's showing up can really help you to start locating some of these deeper beliefs. What does your family history or patterns say about your beliefs, about yourself and food? In other words, what messages were you given as a, as a, as a child around this? You probably still have many of them. What do you believe about your weight, about food, about yourself? What do you believe about thin? What do you believe about the word fat? This is all good information. Where did you first hear the beliefs that you are locating? Who said them? What kind of eating habits did your parents have? 
And do you see similarities in your patterns today? Were family dinners pleasant, fun, or were they stressful? Locate the family food memories that you have. Did you get the message that food was or is a reward, a punishment, a sense of competition? What were celebrations like around food for you? And how about, the, how about your body? Did you feel judged for your size? Rewarded? How so? What was said? And do you keep saying those same things to yourself now? How did your mother or father feel about their bodies? What messages did you get around that? Do you tell yourself similar messages now? And how about advertisements or social messages? What do you recall about those regarding food or body weight? How do they affect you now? And here's a few statements that you can complete that, that might help you as well. I believe that I am. I believe that my body is. I believe that my eating problem is. I believe the cause of my eating problem is. I believe food is. I believe my life is. Lots of questions to contemplate. Great thing to journal on, take some time. You, the great thing about archive shows is you can go back and replay those. If you want those questions in email form, contact me. I will send them to you. If you have questions or thoughts that you want to share about some of those, they will reveal the beliefs that are creating your experience now for the sole purpose that you can finally undo them and take your power back. Because how we eat and the shape of our bodies are a direct reflection of what we believe we deserve, whether that belief is conscious or not. In other words, our relationship with food is a reflection of our relationship to what we believe about ourselves and what we deserve. And this is a huge concept to grasp because who we actually are and what we may believe about who we are is likely misaligned because in truth we are whole beings of love personified I'm reminded of that we are spiritual beings having a human experience and we are a mix of shadow and light and flaws and triumphs and we are all perfectly imperfect when we connect to this knowing really connect to this knowing, we create a space for love and acceptance and compassion for ourselves. We create new beliefs based on love, acceptance, and compassion. Everything we do is from this place and our perception of the world shifts. Our framework 
need not only focus on fear and ourselves, inner, outer, everything. Pay attention. Who are you without the belief in your inadequacies, without the belief of powerlessness, and without the belief that you are unworthy? Who are you without those? Who are you without the self-imposed chains of conditional love? What would your relationship to food and your body look like with beliefs that supported the real you and not the old tapes replaying from the past? What happens to our world when we begin to feed it messages of love and not fear, of acceptance and compassion and not judgment? What happens to our bodies when we do that? What happens is everything changes. Our bodies, our world, begin to reflect love and not fear. And our cells pay attention. And guess what shows up on the outside of those cells? Those receptors. With clear filters, we see our world clearly. And we see ourselves clearly. And then I'll ask you the question, Looking through the clear filter, what does beauty and radiance and utter awesomeness look like? Go look in the mirror and see. Because with a clear filter, that's all you need to do. It's right there. I hope that this was educational around what, how what we believe affects so much of our bodies and our lives. Of course, when we're looking at any issue, and this issue in particular, we want to see it from all angles. We want to be able to really look at it from the physicality, from the mind, from the psychology, and from that energetic perspective. I think when we can really do that, then we can really start to understand it. There has been so much ground covered in this series thus far, and I hope you have been able to apply some of it to your life. So please share with me questions, thoughts, comments, how you've been working through this, what's been coming up for you, anything that you're discovering. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate all of you that keep showing up, and I will continue to do the work that I do. Until the next time, Take care. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. 
In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.